This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to the first 2021 edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. To kick this year off, I'm pleased to host Thomas Nichols, the founder and managing partner of 120, that's O-N-E-20, a company providing startup marketing advisory service. Thomas Nichols is an experienced and recognized digital marketing leader and public speaker on IoT and AI solutions for industry. As executive vice president of communications at Sigfox, Thomas co-invented the term LPWA, or low power wide area, and played a strategic role in, in building the founding ecosystems for low power IoT connectivity and the first large scale deployments. As CMO of the companies such as Del Air and Altia, Thomas led the marketing strategy for startups driving the industry's use of drones and machine learning solutions to extract business insights for companies across a wide range of industries. Thomas, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much, Ken. I'm excited to be here and thanks for the honor of being the first guest in 2021. Yeah, you know, it's been uh, way too, uh, let's just say we should have done this a long time ago uh, because you and I have known each other since, uh, as we were just talking before the podcast, 2013, which seems like ages ago. My gosh. So, but, uh, you know, I, I always love having worked with people and then, of course, doing the research for these podcasts because you realize how much deeper experience bases are and uh, and and, yeah, and overall experiences are in that. So, uh, you know, I always like to start these off in terms of, you know, understanding what I like to call the red thread of your digital industry leadership journey. Yeah, so that that's a good and, and not necessarily an easy question, Ken. So thanks for starting off with, uh, <laughs> with that. But um, I think, I mean, I started out my career as a software engineer. So I actually started out building solution, technology solutions, and then I sort of transitioned into more building brands and building businesses. Um, and I think the red thread in all of that has really been my passion for technology and how technology is being used. As uh, as I mentioned earlier, we first met in 2013, and as I remember, it was the uh, I want to call Sigfox. I think you said it was first anniversary event in uh, in Paris, which is an absolutely wonderful location, and you had a wonderful venue for that. Um, as I remember, it was you and uh, good old Ludovic Lamone, the uh, CEO of the company, on the stage at the time, uh, talking about their initial deployments of low power wide area through uh, through France. Um, the audience will know Sigfox was an early global leader in IoT. So what were some of the key trends that you saw emerging over your five years leading marketing for them? Yeah, I mean, it was five years, you say, and it's true that it was five years. But to be honest, it, looking back at it, it seems like it was 20, 25 years. <laughs> so much happened both at the company and in the industry. Um, I think that it's important, and, and of course we don't look or sound like we're that old, Ken, but I think it's important for the listeners to know that um, 
we've all been through a lot, us dinosaurs who were there from the early, very early days. And back when we started Sigfox, um, there wasn't anything called the IoT. There might have been some RFID guys talking about IoT, but it was really machine to machine and really sort of a techie area without a lot of media attention or anything. Um, so actually the first stage of Sigfox uh, and the first challenge for me was figuring out how to build a brand and drive demand for a solution that didn't have a category. We simply didn't exist as such because no one really understood what the heck we were talking about when we said a new connectivity solution, it's a low power, you'll see it'll enable a lot of new business cases. And it was really a pain in the behind to have to to spend so much energy on having people understand the category instead of actually promoting what it was that we were doing. So that was that was a bit of a struggle, but I find, found the solution for that. Um, I think people who've been in this industry for a while um, know uh, one of my friends very well. It's a gentleman from, from England called Jim Morrish, who um, around the same time as we started Sigfox, him and, and his friend Matt, Matt Hatton, had just started Machina Research. And, and Machina Research was an analyst firm. Um, and it was really, really early days for those guys. So I, I had some very good discussions with Jim, um, but he didn't really have any data that was interesting for me. But I came up with the idea of tasking Jim <laughs> with the assignment to create the category. I said, Jim, I'm spending too much time on this. You need to help me on this. Can't you come up with a name? Because I'm a vendor and I cannot create the name. It'll never be uh, accepted if it's a vendor that creates the category, right? So Jim accepted the challenge and threw some names, um, we threw some ideas back and forth and he ended up with suggesting uh, LPWA or LP1. And that's actually how the name was created. So Jim should get all the credit for actually creating the name, but it was sort of the discussions between us that ended up creating that category. And that was sort of the beginning of the next big phase of the IoT and LP1, and um, I mean that's we spent a lot of time Ken, together back in those days. Uh, we met at trade shows, and while we were flying all over the world, and um, I mean Sigfox, we raised uh, 300 million dollars. We hired I don't know how many people. The whole industry was was buzzing, and IoT hardware startups left and right, and software startups left and right, and it was really really an exciting uh, era. And then I think, and can we we can discuss this, but my um, my sort of way of seeing it is that we then got to the point where everyone understood sort of the realities that were that it's all about finding ROI for customers, right? And at the end of the day, we had been spending a lot of time building technology, and that was needed. But the next step was really to figure out how uh, we could drive actual demand uh, and find ROI for solutions based on these technologies. So that was sort of the final stage for me at Sigfox, which was all about saying, okay, we've got the technology, um, we've got the early adopters starting to use the technologies, but how do we find like a good product market fit and how do we scale that? 
And you know, um, in um, I guess talking about taking the technologies and moving solutions in 2017, you moved over to Del Air as chief marketing officer and helping the company really pivot from manufacturing drones to providing a platform to ingest and analyze geospatial data. Tell us a bit about what motivated you to make this move and how that worked out. Yeah, so um, I spent, as you said, uh, five years at Sigfox that again uh, felt more than the more like twenty years, considering everything we we got done. But um, uh, I, I ended up uh, I ended up um, in in the executive team of a company that had grown tremendously. We're more than three hundred employees, uh, starting from from scratch. Um, and it was five intense years. Uh, so for me, I found myself spending a lot of time on, I would say, running the business, uh, internal operational uh, activities. And again, going back to your initial question, Ken, and my initial answer, I think what drives me really is passion for, for, for building things, building solutions, building businesses. So for me, it was sort of a natural time uh, to, to find a new challenge. And I knew the guys from Delaire because we had actually um, been pitching. I had been pitching Sigfox when they had been pitching Delaire to some of the same customers. So it's interesting because when when people hear about a drone company, they don't naturally make the link between the IoT and drones. But what's important to understand is that uh, drones, such as the drones that Delaire is producing, is basically flying sensors. So it is very much industrial IoT. Um, Delaire, they manufacture sort of larger drones that are equipped with cameras or other types. It can be LiDAR sensors or other sensors. And they collect a lot of data um, from the physical world that is then analyzed in order to create uh, insights, business insights for, for the, the users, the companies using it. So it was sort of very exciting for me because Delaire was at um, at a stage that was very similar to the beginning of Sigfox, but in a very, very similar space, uh, still within the industrial IoT. So for me, it was very obvious that I could add a lot of value through my experience to the Delaire team. You know, it's interesting when I look, I like the way that you portrayed a drone as a flying sensor platform in that. And when I look across your experience base, both providing, um, let's say, needed infrastructure in the form of low power wide area communications and then, you know, full solution sets, uh, you've got almost between the two of them a, a decade of what I consider to be really kind of cutting edge, if you will, uh, leading experience in the IoT. You know, with that perspective, what has been some of your greatest learnings about this uh, this industry we like to call IoT? Yeah, I would say that um, uh, I would say, and, and maybe, maybe, I, I mean, what happened at uh, at Delaire, which is what I think probably a lot of your listeners are within uh, IoT or AI companies, and. A lot of them will probably recognize uh, what happened at a company such as Delaire, which was that um, they were focused on the, I would say, the lower levels of the value chain understood in the sense that they were focusing on collecting data uh, initially. Whereas uh, very quickly they discovered that actually there was a lot more value to 
to extract from analyzing that data, right? Taking the raw data on what's happening in the physical world, transforming it into business insights, using uh, machine learning, so um, uh, famously called AI, uh, to analyze that data. In the case of Delad, would be computer vision-based machine learning. Uh, to organize the data around physical assets that uh, the companies uh, operate in order to provide uh, insights. And I think that um, generally as a trend within the IoT industry, uh, I think you would agree, Ken, the number of companies that um, even had a name that included IoT that have migrated over to using AI or machine learning instead of IoT is tremendous because um, all of these companies understand that they need to focus and they need to focus on where they deliver value. Doing large volume uh, hardware uh, in the case of Delad was difficult because of uh, the drone legislation, which doesn't evolve that quickly. But generally speaking, doing large volume for uh, IoT sensors is a complicated area. But there's, there is a lot of immediate value to bring by analyzing that data. So uh, that was a very long answer, but, but to cut it short, there's a need to focus. And I'm seeing a lot, a lot of um, both startups, but also uh, innovation initiatives in large organizations that simply lack focus. Um, they tend to get lost in technological discussions. Um, they tend to get lost in um, in not experimenting with the right things. What they need to focus on is getting to value, of course, and getting to value very often can be distilled to finding the product market fit right. So they need to build a learning organization which is focused on finding and validating a product market fit before starting to scale that. Instead of trying to implement a lot of advanced uh, means of operating their business, um, which are really only interesting when you have something to scale. So the first thing to do is to focus, find your product market fit before you start scaling. All of this sounds like a great intro into what I guess all of this has converged into you creating uh, 120 this year. So tell us a bit about what 120 is and how it operates. Yeah, so if there's one thing I've learned, it is that um, we always have new things to learn, right? <laughs> so I would say um, what really motivated me to create 120 is the fact that I want to bring my experience, I want to bring my uh, failures, my, my successes to, uh, to companies. And I think that um, if you... If you go out and you, if I go out and take another job as a CMO or a similar position, then I will learn from what I see in that specific context. I think that um, there's a mean, there's a way to create even more value by having an activity where you see many more projects, you see uh, many more industries, you see many more ways of approaching things, of testing things, of learning things. And um, by creating 120, I offer my experience as a service, either directly by, um, by personally uh, getting involved as an adv advisor or coach uh, for a startup or another organization looking into IoT and AI. Uh, but it can also be teaming up with other experts 
through my network in order to address more complex uh, projects. But it's really about adding um, adding the experience to the younger projects so that they can avoid some of the mistakes that I have maybe been through or that I have seen elsewhere so that I can help them focus their energy and their resources and become more efficient and grow quicker. Given uh, your experience accelerating, I guess, both founding and accelerating these companies, what's the game plan you traditionally follow when uh, um, you engage with a company? And what, you know, what results can that company expect to, uh, to get from engaging you? Yeah, so I, I think that the key value, and, and, and I think that why uh, 120 works is because I'm from, uh, I'm from uh, the world of startups. So I know what it's like, I know what is needed, I know what is not needed. Um, so the, the, the way that I approach things is that I only engage uh, with clients, with companies, when I'm 100% convinced that I can deliver value and that I can do so efficiently. Um, just like uh, my advice to, to to other startups would be to be focused and focus on ROI and product market fit. The same goes for my activities at 120. So I, I, I engage in discussions with potential clients. Um, sometimes I come to the conclusion that I don't think that they should um, engage with me to do projects. So I, I might help them in another way. And sometimes I see that I actually can deliver some value. And then what I'll do is that I'll spend some time with those companies, making it very, very clear what the objectives of the project are. And that's very, very important. I'm someone who's very data-driven, very objective-driven. Um, and again, that goes back to my own time as CMO in, in startups. No one wants to waste their time, especially not startups. So this is all about having a very, very clear objective, making it very, very clear what to expect so that I know exactly what needs to be delivered and so that the company I'm working with knows what to expect. And then we can measure how, how well we're performing. And it, it might sound very basic, but I can tell you the amount of companies I've worked with myself as a CMO in startups that didn't have an engagement model that was really adapted to startups. Um, it, it's just a, a, really a pain in the behind because it's, it's you waste energy and you waste resources. So I, I really don't want to get into that. So I'm very, very focused on delivering value. So customers that engage with me will get an honest answer about whether or not I believe I can help them. And if I believe I can help them, it's because I'm 100% convinced that I can. And then I'll openly uh, present what I believe is the best solution for them, whether that is me directly working with them, whether it's putting them in contact with other people, whether it's building a team to help them, whatever it takes to help them grow, basically. So um, going back to your value proposition, then, um, this is more marketing advisory or fractional CMO. How would you categorize exactly the, 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 you know, the, the value proposition? Yes, yeah, so, so my sweet spot is definitely everything that evolves around marketing personally. I, I mean, I have to honestly say that I do talk to a lot of companies that have um, that have challenges that might go beyond a traditional definition of marketing, say fundraising or, or other types of, of growth needs. And in those cases, 
Um, I can often still help uh, in some cases simply through my network. Uh, in other cases, it'll be me teaming up with, um, with, with people with other specific and required skills. Um, but that can be through sort of project-based um, audits, due diligence. It can be objective-based projects, or it can be as what you refer to as fractional CMO, um, basically being there as a, a, a sort of part-time CMO, but someone who's experienced for a company that might not be ready to actually integrate that sort of profile directly in their company for financial reasons or for, for any other reason. Well, you uh, certainly convinced us because Momenta recently hired you to work in one of our ecosystems company, uh, uh, Odin. So what's their value proposition and how are you engaging with them? Yeah, so Odin is um, is a manufacturing analytics SaaS platform. So what that means is that their solution aggregates all the data from manufacturing machines and workflows, all of the raw data uh, from these machines, and then it analyzes that data using machine learning to really extract actionable insights that manufacturers can use to improve performance or improve quality. So for instance, reduce the scrap rate. So you know manufacturers they, they that produce a lot of uh, volume, they will of course have products with defects and, and that happens to everyone. So, so one of the big challenges is how do you reduce the, 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 the rate of defects? And using the Odin solution, and that's really, th I mean, that's a bit the definition of machine learning, but Odin, they have enough experience to have done this for quite a few customers. So they can extremely quickly give insights and say, this is what you need to be doing in order to reduce defects or simply improve throughput uh, within manufacturing. And um, I think Odin, going back to our, our previous discussion, is a perfect example of, first of all, a company that has evolved. I mean, they've been really a learning organization where their initial way of approaching things didn't work out. So they've adapted, they've been through some pivots, and they've now found this sweet spot where they have product market fit. So they know that they have return on investment, they can do repeatable sales, and they deliver value extremely quickly to their customers. And it's one, one of those um, ML or, or AI-based solutions that, that really delivers a return on investment. And frankly speaking, I think that, that Odin, uh, Altea, and there are many others uh, out there, but uh, those companies really serve as examples and as enables, enablers for other actors because a solution such as Odin that is adopted by a large manufacturer will very, very quickly deliver value and return on investment, which will help evangelize around the, the efficiency of that sort of solution, which will pave the way, I think, for a lot of other innovative solutions. So Odin uh, have definitely figured out how to, to go about doing that. And it's an exciting team as well, based out of New York City. Yes, yeah, and uh, certainly uh, a non-strategy space for where Momenta likes to uh, to operate at the intersection of digital and uh, and manufacturing industry. I know you've been active in your community of Toulouse, France, to co-develop what I think they're calling IoT Valley now. Tell us a bit about your uh, your work there. Yes, yeah, so um, one of the all, or maybe two key challenges when it comes to. Um, 
collecting data from the physical world and, and analyzing it. So IoT and AI is um, that the, the larger enterprises, they are obviously realizing that there's a lot of potential from using these technologies and these solutions. But it's not necessarily easy to figure out how to approach that. And what do you make? What do you uh, buy? Um, if you buy it, how do you buy it? I mean, a large enterprise working with, for instance, a startup is, is not necessarily a match made in heaven uh, if it's not managed correctly. So um, if you want to develop and if you want to accelerate the market and the adoption of IoT and AI solutions, you need to help the large corporate uh, enterprises. So that's one of the things that the IoT Valley focuses on. So the, the IoT Valley specifically is focused on the French market, but they go out and they work with large accounts and they, they help them identify areas within their business where they can innovate thanks to IoT and or AI solutions. So once they've identified those sweet spots and there's a common understanding of if there's a solution to address that specific problem or opportunity, what would it look like? Once that is done, <clears throat> the IoT Valley, they will go out and they will try to identify whether there's an existing uh, startup that addresses that specific problem or opportunity. If there is, they will try to do, uh, to set up a relationship between the startup and uh, the, the enterprise, and they will facilitate uh, the integration of the solutions from the startup. That can then in some cases go even further to an acquisition or, or investment. If there isn't a startup that addresses that, uh, the IoT Valley will go out and build a startup to address that specific need for the large enterprise. Because that's, that's the challenge for the startups very often, right? It is to find the launching customers. So who are those big enterprises that will go in and invest as a customer in a solution from a startup? So if you build a startup, um, sort of reverse engineer the creation of a startup, you have a need from a large enterprise account. So you know that you have a launching customer and then you go out and you build a startup. And the large, the large corporate don't necessarily need to as such invest in the company if, if they don't want to, in some cases they do. But the simple fact of them being a launching customer obviously bootstraps the creation process of a startup. So the IoT Valley was something that was started um, uh, around the same time, actually, as Sigfox, because we identified this need for facilitating um, the understanding of the potential of IoT and AI amongst corporate accounts and the need for launching customers for all of these startups. So today there's about, um, there's at least more than 40 startups um, that have been launched by the IoT Valley um, uh, with launching customers, so big corporate accounts. And, and a lot of corporate accounts have, even some have gone all the way to actually opening f physical offices in uh, in the buildings of the IoT Valley. So really a successful endeavor, and uh, I'm not operationally involved in the project any longer, but it's it's an exciting project. And, and I think that anything that can be created around the world to help facilitate adoption of, uh, of these exciting solutions is something that I'm at least passionate about. 
Yeah, no, it's a great way to uh, to give back, and uh, I'm impressed with the uh, foresight of uh, the the region there to support that uh, um, capability for the startups, which is uh, which is great. You know, kind of rounding all of this out. I mean, given your own success in startups, and certainly your perspective across startups. You know, if you had to kind of do it all over again, what what advice would you offer to an aspiring entrepreneur getting ready to kick off a startup? Um, uh, so I'm trying to avoid uh, cliches and and really speak to my own experience. Um, I would say that when I when I meet a new when I meet a startup that I didn't know before and I, I start to look into what they do. Um, I would say that I'm probably not exaggerating if I say that 90% of the times that that happens. Um, when I ask the startup, so, so what is your offer and explain your, your product market fit. So what, what's your value proposition and, and, and which customers are you addressing? Well, I mean, which, which should be pretty simple questions, right? Um, and I do actually always get answers, so so that's that, that's the good news. Um, the bad news is that if I then ask them, so um, can you name the customers you have that that you have found with that value proposition? Then what very very often happens, and I think it's in by far most of the startups I talk to, they will have customers, but they always have excuses for why the customers they have don't actually fit into that specific definition they just gave me. And it's 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 quite funny and it might sound surprising for people who are not in this world. I think if there are startups or, or IoT AI experts listening, and I know you have many listeners, I mean, I'm sure that they will recognize that. Uh, finding the product market fit uh, is something that is it's difficult. It requires a lot of focus. So a young entrepreneur uh, within uh, the IoT and AI space, I would say, do yourself a favor. Don't start implementing a lot of advanced uh, tooling or initiatives just to uh, to try to desperately um, get whatever customer wants to throw money your way. Invest in finding and experimenting with a product market fit because uh, I can promise you, you won't get it right in the first go. But continue learning, find the product market fit, because it's not before you've found that, that you have something you can scale. And if you don't do it, um, if you are like most people, you will crash. If you're like some people, you will actually, for unknown reasons, manage to raise some money. And then you'll start to have investors who will who will ask for this proof of your product market fit. And then all of a sudden, you don't only have to answer to your own wallet and your own investments in your company, but you all of a sudden have investors that want to, to understand when they'll get a return on investment. And you need to be able to prove that although you might not have thousands of customers yet, if you can tell them and show and prove that you have your value proposition, your target audience uh, well-defined, and you actually have proof that you can execute on that, and the only thing you need to do is scale, then you're at a very, very good place. Mm. 
Find your product market fit and uh, and scale the heck out of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I fully agree with the way you kind of tell the story, though. I've seen too many companies, and, and we invest in them, so we see it as well. Typically, you see it around the ratio of non-recurring engineering to ARR or annual recurring revenue. Exactly. And and so, you know, it's you know, we're, we're a recurring revenue company, they will say, uh, but, you know, the majority of the revenue is coming in from non-recurring sources, which means projects, right? And yeah, there's a lot to be said for learning and ranging and finding where you really fit. But it is, you said it earlier, it's that hyper focus that ultimately you need to be able to get to because you have to scale something that's replicable. And um, and, I, and, I've, and I've seen too many companies try to scale uh, a, a broad thesis, if you will, which is very difficult to do, yeah, as they say, boiling the ocean. So all um, all great insights there, Thomas. So in, uh, in closing... Well, Maybe please can go I, ahead. And, and sorry, sorry for interrupting, but <clears throat> if I can just shamelessly again uh, plug um, one of our joint um, partners, Odin. Um, I, I think if we use them as an example, um, because a lot of IoT companies will 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 be doing stuff within machine learning and AI, and a lot of companies are sort of specific within the world of AI and machine learning. Figure out very early on whether you want to be an NRE or services company, or if you want to build a scalable uh, SaaS kind of company, which Odin has done, which, which is very critical. If you want to scale your business, understand what can scale. You need to have something that can scale. Um, Otherwise, it'll be a, a very, very complicated journey. So, so that's just a, a, another lesson learned and, and a piece of advice. Yeah, good, good example there. So, look, in uh, closing, can you provide recommendations of people, books, or resources that, that inspire you and you, which you'd like to share with the audience? Um, I, I actually read a lot. Um, I don't read that many marketing books because... I think that it's 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 a lot of uh, it's a lot of pages for for very often you have these very long books with very simple messages. I actually get most of my um, I would say marketing and innovation and and uh, information through discussions with with people that are smarter than I am or people who have done things that I have not done myself. So I would say invest time in in building up a network, um, doing some ping pong with uh, with other people, throw your ideas out there, and talk to people about uh, how they approach things. I think that that is um, that is very often more uh, more rewarding. I mean, I I have read the the, the traditional uh, marketing bibles and all of that, but I would say invest more in in actually building a good network of people. Um, it could be investors, it can be advisors, it can be simply uh, uh, other people who do things differently. I think that's uh, worth it. And then if there's one thing I can recommend, um, speaking about books, and I just uh, thought about that actually, but I read a book recently called Why We Sleep. And it's most definitely not a book about how to optimize your marketing initiatives. Uh, on the contrary, um, but I would definitely recommend everyone uh, to read the book Why We Sleep. Um, because I think that there's um, a great importance in in having a life that is um, that is uh, that, that is good and, and finding energy by by having a healthy life. I think that um, 
I've seen too many entrepreneurs as well uh, run themselves down. I, I think that is very dangerous. I think it's important not to forget that you're a human being and as human beings, we might see ourselves as being very advanced, but not that long ago, we were hunters and, and gatherers and <laughs> we are biologically built as beings that need sleep, that should get some exercise. So if you want to be performant, um, do not only focus on on reading and learning about how to optimize your time and, and be more efficient. Think about your 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 body as well and, and make sure that you that you are ready to perform when needed. Mm, good good uh, good uh, advice, especially for you know the majority of us that are either working from home, sheltering in place, uh, et cetera, et cetera, living that virtual <laughs> lifestyle. So it's uh, it's so much easier to remain on a rhythm when you have a commute either way, and uh, you know the the standard meal patterns. It's much more difficult when uh, your whole day revolves around one room. <laughs> definitely, definitely agree. Yeah. So Thomas, thank you for spending the time with us and sharing these great insights. Thank you so much, Ken. It was uh, exciting to um, to be a part of it. So thanks a lot. Sure. So this has been Thomas Nichols, the founder and managing partner of 120. Uh, I'll, I'll call it a digital marketing advisory uh, to, to put a product market fit on it. Thank you for listening. And please join us next week for the next episode of our digital industry leadership series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.